0: Welcome to Boosting Your Financial IQ, a podcast for investors, business leaders, entrepreneurs and individuals looking to transform their organizations and lives through greater financial literacy. I'm Steve Coffrin and I'll be your guide as you seek to better your financial life. I turn around, grow and invest in high potential companies and I'm here to teach you the fundamentals of accounting and finance so you can speak the language of money and act intentionally to drive greater financial value. Are you ready? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Before we get started, remember that this content is for educational purposes and should not be construed as financial or legal advice. See the podcast notes or byfiq.com for a full list of disclaimers, terms, and conditions. Now on to the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Fin Weekly, where I provide weekly updates on what's happening in the world of finance and the economy. My name is Steve Coffran, and today is Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, and we're gonna kick things off by talking about commercial real estate. So first up, empty office buildings around the world are becoming a ticking time bomb of debt. From San Francisco to Hong Kong, the commercial real estate market is facing a dangerous situation due to rising interest rates and declining property values. In the United States alone, there are about $1.4 trillion of commercial real estate loans due this year and next, and with higher interest rates making it costlier to buy or refinance buildings, this will likely lead to a trend in defaults by owners who are unable to make large principal payments. It's important to note that major institutional owners like Blackstone, Brookfield, and PIMCO have already stopped payments on some properties to allocate their resources elsewhere. As of this week, the number of commercial real estate transactions has plummeted and prices for institutional quality offices in the United States have dropped by 27% since March of 2022. This decline is expected to continue globally, with office prices projected to fall more than 25% in Europe and almost 13% in the Asia-Pacific region. Right now, the recovery of this is expected to take almost 10 years, which is risky for several reasons. First, it adds stress to the financial system right now, and second, it transforms cities where there are empty office buildings and lower property tax revenues. In particular, cities like San Francisco, New York, Atlanta, and London are at risk of defaults as vacancies soar and property values decline. And remember, this is due in part to the impact of things like hybrid working, which has allowed many employees to work remotely, leaving little need to commute into or work from an office building. So, with the number of empty office buildings rising and the debt time bomb in the commercial real estate market, I wouldn't be surprised to see other signs of distress within regional economies, employment, and the pace of economic recovery down the line. Managing the impact and finding alternative solutions for empty buildings will be crucial for mitigating the negative effects on the broader economy. And speaking of BlackRock, the investment management company has introduced their first private credit fund called B-Debt, which will offer floating rate loans to middle market US companies and other small investors. Now, before we jump into what that means for the company itself, let's put that into context of the broader economy. At the moment, retail investors are seeking less risky investments, which is why US treasuries and money market funds have been so popular lately. And as recession fears continue to loom over the U.S. market, this move comes at a challenging time, particularly when it comes to concerns about private credit defaults. BlackRock's private credit fund aligns with its long-term goal of becoming a comprehensive provider of low-cost index funds, actively managed funds, and private market assets. The company aims to double revenue from private market assets to $2 billion over the next five years. And while that might seem easier said than done, BlackRock will face some stiff competition from other firms, including Blackstone, Blue Owl Capital, Aris Management, and Fidelity, who all offer similar non-traded private credit products. So what pros and cons do I see here? Well, on one hand, the fund aims to provide financing to middle market companies, which could support their growth and create more job opportunities, so that's a plus. It also offers retail investors a chance to diversify their portfolios beyond stocks and bonds, potentially earning higher returns. Finally, during economic downturns like the one we find ourselves in right now, private credit funds can provide stability by offering an alternative source of financing when traditional bank lending tightens. These are all great things. However, like I mentioned earlier, the rise in private credit funds also poses competition for traditional banks, which could impact their lending practices in some unexpected ways. So overall, it's an exciting development that offers new opportunities for investors and companies, but it also poses challenges to our traditional banking landscape. Let's wait and see how things develop. And in big business news, buyout firm Vista Equity Partners has more than doubled its initial investment in software maker, Aptio. Who's the big buyer though? None other than International Business Machines Corporation, also known as IBM, they've agreed to acquire the company for $4.6 billion cash before the end of this year. Vista, which purchased Aptio for about $1.9 billion back in 2019, is expecting some serious high returns from the deal with a projected 2.1 times return on investment after fees. This transaction led by billionaire Robert Smith is expected to add to Smith's firepower as he aims to raise a $20 billion fund for subsequent deals. It's worth mentioning that Vista has generated $18 billion in value through successful investments since late 2021. Wow. This ability to more than double its initial investment emphasizes the value creation potential of private equity firms and their role in identifying undervalued companies. The deal also signifies the attractiveness of the software industry to both strategic and financial buyers and will no doubt boost investor confidence while also driving innovation, productivity, and job creation within the technology sector. All right, moving on to automobiles. It's also been a big week for Ford as they prepare to lay off hundreds of salaried workers, which is particularly bad news for their engineers. Ford CEO Jim Farley previously stated that the company needed 25% more engineers than its competitors, resulting in significant profit losses. The company is currently in the midst of a $50 billion transition to electric vehicles, and this layoff is expected to enhance profits and reduce costs while they find their footing in the EV sector. Ford aims to generate an 8% return on its EV models by the end of 2026, and plans to produce 2 million EVs annually by that time. What about the workers, though? Well, last week, Ford and SK On, its battery partner, were majorly criticized by the United Auto Workers Union after securing a $9.2 billion loan from the US Department of Energy for the construction of three new battery plants. From an economics and business perspective, here's what I think about Ford's decision. First off, the automobile industry is undergoing a significant shift towards electric vehicles and Ford's $50 billion investment in this transition indicates its commitment to this emerging market. However, the company's current financial performance in the EV sector has been challenging with an expected loss of $3 billion in 2023. Overall though, Jim Farley's goal demonstrates the company's long-term vision and determination to capitalize on the growing demand for electric vehicles, positioning the company for future success in the electric vehicle market. And over in Europe, Gita Gopneth, the IMF's first deputy managing director, has urged central banks, including the European Central Bank, to remain committed to fighting inflation despite the risk of weaker economic growth. In an interview she gave this week, Gopneth emphasized the need for central banks to refine their strategies in response to structural shifts in the economy and potential tensions between price and financial stability. She also called for governments to join the fight against inflation and suggested that fiscal policy can alleviate some side effects of monetary policy, highlighting the importance of reassessing the cost and benefits of quantitative easing in different economic conditions. Her insights emphasize the importance of coordinated action, comprehensive understanding, and prudent policy responses to ensure economic stability and sustainable growth on a global scale. What can we expect next month? Well, the European Central Bank is highly likely to raise interest rates in July, while the Bank of England continues its path of increasing rates despite concerns over a looming mortgage crisis. Similarly, in the US, the Federal Reserve is indicating a probability of future rate hikes despite maintaining its current rates in the last meeting. And in international news, the International Monetary Fund has approved $1.8 billion in loans for Senegal to support its economic recovery. The country, which has faced substantial debt-level increases following external shocks, including the COVID-19 pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, will receive an immediate disbursement of approximately $216 million. In addition, Senegal will also receive an extended fund and credit facility of $1.51 billion over three years, along with $324 million from the Resilience and Sustainability Trust. All these funds will help the government reduce debt vulnerabilities, boost fiscal space, and provide balance of payment support. In addition, this injection of funds will help contribute to the overall economic growth of Senegal as it provides the government with additional resources to invest in key sectors in infrastructure projects. Senegal's economy is projected to grow by 8.3% in 2023, driven by the start of oil and gas production. The country's public debt is expected to ease to 73.1% of GDP, and local inflation is anticipated to slow to 5%. And last but not least, following up on something I touched on last week here, Citi has predicted that home builder stocks will continue to perform well. To recap, that's due to a combination of there being a shortage of existing homes for sale, coupled with a strong demand from buyers. Once again, the homebuilder sector outperformed the S&P 500 index last week, indicating continued investor confidence. Now, what's going on specifically? Well, single family inventories are down 19% from pre-pandemic levels, further contributing to a deficit of over 1 million homes in the United States. What's happening right now is that current homeowners are holding on to their low mortgage rates and this further limits the resale inventory. city is now doubling down on its positive projections saying that they believe this supply shortage will benefit home builders for the next several years. They also said they are expecting favorable net order growth for the second half of this year in companies associated with building and construction. And lastly, they estimated that the benchmark interest rates would need to fall to around 5% to reach pre-pandemic supply levels, but said that a decline to 3% is highly unlikely. So there you have it. That's a wrap for Finn Weekly. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you're listening to the audio version through a podcast channel, make sure you download the free Boosting Your Financial IQ app in the Apple app or Google Play store if you want to see the video version of Fin Weekly. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. There are a lot of other great tools and resources within this app that you can access all for free, and also you can join a really great community. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being ambitious with your learning goals. Keep boosting your financial IQ, and I hope you have a great week ahead. Cheers.